0: This is the Car Dealer podcast driven by CarGurus. You want the best return for your advertising budget and CarGurus piston heads are focused on the same goal. With them, you have access to millions of monthly shoppers across both sites. Connect with in-market high-quality buyers today and turbocharge your digital forecourt. For more information, visit dealerpackages.cargurus.co.uk and schedule a demo with their team. That's dealerpackages.cargurus.co.uk and tell them we sent you.
1: Welcome back to the Car Dealer podcast. and know your ears aren't deceiving you. This is not Rebecca Chaplin with a cold, but uh, me, James Batchelor, Associate Editor here at Car Dealer magazine. Thank you for tuning in this week. If you haven't listened before, we pick our favourite stories of the week and we ask an industry guest to choose which stories were the best. My opposite number this week in choosing the stories is Car Dealers' John Ray. Hello, John. How are you? Hello, hello. Very well, very well. And you? I'm very well. It feels a bit odd, this, doesn't it? Me me sitting in the hosting chair.
2: Yeah, I don't like it.
3: No
1: I know. Oh, you don't like it? Well, that's that's a good way <laughs> to start already. We're not even a minute into the show and there's already friction. I don't like really change,
2: enough. I'm sorry, but, you know, I'll get used to it.
1: I know, we are sort of in a bit of uncharted waters with me, host this. Hopefully I don't press the wrong button and accidentally play the local travel and <laughs> traffic and travel report or something. But um, anyway, we shall battle on through. Um, this week's guest is the managing director of Motor Connect, Steve Callwood. Hello, Steve. Hi, how are you? Very good, thank you. Um, now, you've been a guest on the podcast before, um, and surely this is a ringing endorsement to the Car Dealer podcast because, you know, it, 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 we must be good if you're back, surely.
3: Well, yeah, I enjoy it. I enjoy it. I enjoy the news. To be fair, it's you know, I always it's one of them and not blowing smoke, but I always say to people, you know, where do you keep up to date? And you guys keep us all up to date very well. So, um, yeah, I enjoy coming on. It's good. Well, that's lovely of you to say. No, we haven't paid him to say that, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> um, <laughs> so
1: um, for those who might not know, Steve runs Motor Connect, which is an independent used car dealership. Um, now, we're halfway through 2022. Amazingly, Steve, it still feels like January to me, but we are. We are halfway through, I mean, how's the last six months
3: been for you, all good? Uh, Yeah, on the whole, we can't complain too much, but, you know, I I think certainly as of late, we've started to see a softening and, and, you know, is it going back to, I think, probably towards pre-COVID levels. Um, Stock is still an issue, you know, so there's a bit of a mixed bag out there, I think, at the moment. I think it's really tough still buying good stock which is something that we're struggling with. We're carrying really light at the minute. Um, You know, I'm working four platforms a day myself, buying, trying to buy what I can and good quality. I think it's a case of good quality stock. There's, There's stuff out there and it's so tempting to just buy when you've got so many empty spaces, but you've got to stay strong to what you've always done. And that is for us... The main Achilles heel that we're having at the minute is finding good quality stuff, um, even though there is a softening in the market, there's still a lack of stock.
1: Well, um, I mean, it doesn't surprise me that you're looking for good quality stock because you, you're a good quality car dealer with great customer service. So yeah. stock obviously is the, is the be all and end all of of, of, of running a successful uh operation but i would imagine that you even especially at this moment in time you really are on the hunt for the best quality stock you can find because you don't want to spend time and of course money in in prepping
3: damaged cars do you you just want you just want to get get the cars out
1: there don't you
3: yeah we we do and um, we've always been and always prided ourselves of being really process driven and our core turn is very quick. We're, you know, early 20 days. Sometimes we drop under it and drop into 18, 19 day stock turns. And, and that hugely comes down to the art of buying stock. And thankfully, you know, we're not a massive volume holder or volume dealer. So it allows us to do that. And I think this is sometimes the where people get confused in the market. There's such an array of people holding a lower amount of stock and people holding 1500 cars on a site you know, I wouldn't want to be a 1500 car site uh, at this moment in time. I just wouldn't want to be it. Um, so it allows us to do that. But even a self who's normally sort of a 70, 80 car dealer, you know, holding that kind of stock. It's a struggle for us to buy what we want to buy. Um, and I suppose for me, I put it, I take it personally, motor connects the name, but you know, I see that I'm supplying somebody with a vehicle, um, and I'm endorsing that. So I th- I, th- we, we've still got good stock turns, but I need, that, I need that stock level to to get up and get up as soon as we can, and I don't know where that's coming from at the minute.
1: Are you having to sort of consider making compromises on stock just to fill holes, or are you, 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 are you holding firm on getting the
3: best cars? I'm getting to the point, Batch, where I'm going to have to. Um, <laughs> the reality of the situation is we've got a service as well that we offer, which is like a personal shopping service. Uh, a concierge based service that we offer to all of our customers for two reasons one is it's a minefield of buying a vehicle out there and people do want professional advice you know in the car industry we we all get that name uh, but we've all been doing it for a long time for a reason and we know what we're looking at we know good cars um there's a lot of good dealers out there um and that is one thing that has really helped us for instance this morning we've already done two deals it's 11 o'clock before 11 o'clock they were both source deals we're not holding the stock but uh, the customers have asked us and entrusted us to do the whole process for them it takes up a little bit of time but it means that we're providing the right car we can give more money for the right car instead of me having to bring it in against stock um and you know the customers getting exactly what they want so We've just adapted like that, and 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 that's the, that's that's what we're doing at the moment, and it's still it's it's paying dividends for us to do that. But you know, I hate empty spaces, and I'm going to have to compromise in some way, shape, or form. Um, we've adapted the way that we operate. We we're, I'm happy that um, you know. Do we have to be as much of a volume as we were before? We're not the biggest volume dealer, but we knock out a few cars. Um, I don't know, let's just concentrate on buying the right stock, doing the job properly. I think there's a lot of people cutting corners at the minute because of the stock issue. My um, approach yesterday, on month end coming in today, was we're not compromising our service. We're going to continue with our service level. In fact, we're looking at every angle, as we always do, to try and improve it. And that should hopefully set us apart from what is having to happen unfortunately where we're having to sometimes buy stuff that we don't want to buy and it does enable it does mean that we naturally cut some corners to what we would normally want to do in the marketplace
1: well if you sold two source cars already this morning that's certainly a validation in, in, in in what you're doing um but are you starting to see a little bit of um uh consumer reluctance to actually purchase because of the the, of
3: course the the cost of living crisis at the moment or use is it still holding pretty firm for you it's not holding as firm as it was and that's the truth of the matter there is um we are seeing people wanting to down trade people are looking at their budgets um in terms of certainly the monthly budgets um you know when they're looking at a finance deal we've seen a lot of people we've changed our stock profile massively we've still got the odd car on there you know uh, top end you know 100 grand cayenne and stuff at the minute but predominantly i'm buying sub 15 grand because we're seeing a lot of people coming into the marketplace wanting to be spending 250s 300s not five 600 quid a month Um, which you know makes it harder because that part of the market is harder to buy but the reality of the situation is is there is a softening we have seen it you know the consumer demand from our point, and I'm not saying it's everybody out there, but certainly a lot of dealers that I speak to and in fairly good contact with a lot of them all the time um there they, it has started to change, so we've just got to watch that um you know what it's like it's such a fine line between making good profit and losing the same, and we need to balance it out, yeah.
1: Yeah, I th- everything you're saying is sort of backed up with, you know, we were talking to Darren Martin this week from Cap HPI and, you know, the situation has changed quite a bit in, in the month and um, it's those cheaper price cars which are coming in for quite a lot of pressure um, as people are looking at £20,000 cars and they're thinking they look quite expensive. Um, so it's an ever-changing picture, isn't it? It is not it Um yes. I feel as though we could chat all day, Steve, but we've got a, we've got a show to actually get yeah. on with. So. Yeah. we must probably (laughs) probably crack on um now if you've never listened before um john and i are going to choose our five favorite stories of the week that appeared on car dealer we'll take it in turns to reveal our stories we'll have a chat about them and at the end steve will judge who has won i've already told steve who is the natural winner and of course that is me but we shall see where we're at in about half an hour's time john looks confident to me
2: <laughs> I'm highly confident that's you know of my own, over, own
1: overconfidence and that's something i do suffer from <laughs> um so uh anyway right john over to you i've spoken enough so over to you why don't you k- kick things off
2: okay um struggling to pick a favorite this week so i'm just going to go in completely random order i'm going to start with uh because we've been talking uh, been talking about stock sourcing issues that was a tongue twister um, the news that Pendragon have expanded their car store offering with the launch of a We Buy Any Car style service. So, effectively, um, these little pop up car store direct, they're called uh, porter cabins, for want of a better word, are starting to appear in, I think it's home based car parks and places like that, and Morrison's car parks. So, what Pendragon are doing is effectively copying uh you know imitation is the sincerest form of flattery copying the we buy any car style model um in an attempt presumably to get a bit more stock direct to them which i thought was quite an interesting development i mean that i'm surprised it's taken this long in a way because um you know we buy any car has been doing this for it must be about 10 15 years now or something these little um counters have existed in tesco car parks and so on um but I think it's interesting that now is the time that they've chosen to do that, whether that is purely because they really are struggling to secure stock or is it that they are looking at, you know, pay, uh, Constellation and are thinking, hmm, perhaps we need a little bit of that pie. You know, we need to, you know, perhaps other dealer groups are looking at this kind of vertical integration and thinking perhaps we need to do a little bit more of that than we perhaps would have done previously.
1: Yeah, I'm not entirely sure. I feel as though we've been here before with, I I don't know, I'm probably completely barking up the wrong tree, but this story sounds old to me, and I think they might have done this before Castor. Um, If they haven't, then I do apologise to them. But um, I did notice on on social media, I think it was on Facebook, we posted the story into our Facebook group. Somebody did leave a comment, and I don't know how true this is, but I, I thought it was still an interesting thing to raise. That this particular person who left the comment said that it's a, it's an interesting way of bypassing consumer protection laws where if you buy a car online of course you get that, mu- that you get that 40, 14 day guarantee but of course that tends to only apply if the car is delivered to your house it's a distance sale mm. um, whereas if the car is delivered to a supermarket car park in a, in a porter cabin, do those protection laws still exist? I mean, is I, there, is I it still a distance
3: selling? If they're doing the supply from them locations, hmm. I can't see that distance sell will exist because it's a registered office. Yeah. And it's a collection point. So yeah. I think they do bypass, um, if they are using them locations for collection points, um, I think it is a probably a good move. I've I've, I've heard that there's others going to do this. Actually, I heard quite a while ago, um, Arnold Clark were looking at it um, Mm. and, you know, it's quite a clever way of doing it because they get around a lot of insurance and they get a lot of locations very quickly without having to spend a a shed ton of money Mm. to be able to pop up another dealership. And the reality of the situation is it is it what the consumer wants. You know, they still get that touchy-feely sort of aspect where they can still collect it, look around it and check it before they leave. And like you quite rightly said, Batch, actually, you know, if they are collecting from a collection point, well, it's great for the dealer because the 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 14-day um money back is it, it's gone. It's not a distant sell anymore.
1: Yeah, I mean, on the surface of it, it does appear to be offering more choice to the consumer. It looks as though, um, from a consumer's perspective, the motor trade is being more adaptable. They're offering more um, solutions to, to the current way, you know, the current trends of how we all buy stuff. Um, but it, I am inclined to agree with you there, Stephen. it's something that I was going to actually try and follow up with and try and get a bit of a secondary opinion on, because if, if it does bypass those um, those consumer protection um, laws that's that's I think that's quite concerning because of course those 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 laws are put in place to to try and make it fair and uh, fair for everybody so um yeah it's a really interesting one the, the argument
3: most definitely will be if they are going to collect it from a collection point and they get the opportunity to see it and drive it yeah then that's no different than, Doing a deal over the phone and coming to pick it up from the dealership.
2: Yeah, you're mm. right. Yeah, I have a, <clears throat> I have a suspicion. It comes down to where the money changes hands. I think that's probably if it's entirely bought online. Um, i just, just have a slight feeling back to the days of that's when we were all panicking problem. about click and collect. I think that was yeah. If you, if you pay the whole thing online, I think that's yeah, uh, that- that's basically it. Um, I mean, I have to say, aside from that, I had I glossed over the element of buying a car from one of the, or collecting a car from one of these things. I'm not sure I would, as a car buyer, you know, want to go to home base to you know the corner of a home base car park where the trolleys are to pick up my brand new eighteen, well, not brand new, my nearly new, sec, you know, eighteen grand BMW or something. It doesn't quite gel with me. I kind of want a little bit of a nicer experience than that. Um, and well, it's not of, it, right. it quite right with me either, because you know, what one of the I know it's it's not this situation, but one of the rules you're always told about buying a car privately when you, you know, when you're buying privately is always buy it from the person's house, you know, the person the place they're actually they actually live. Always buy a car from a business premises. There's something about going to a random car park and having a pop-up thing that could disappear overnight that I don't quite doesn't quite sit right, does it?
3: No, but is it a convenience factor? Possibly, like you can come and collect it from us and drive 150 miles, or we've got mm. a collection point for you 15 miles down the road. Which one would mm. you prefer? And at that point, might be the case where you say, well, "Actually, I'm not that bothered about all this, all singing, all that. I'm not driving 150 miles. I mm. yeah, have a nice coffee in the glass showroom. I'm happy to pick it up, check it over, and I'm off." And yeah, I, th- I think it's an alternative, and possibly. I think we're going to see more of it.
1: Well, it certainly it certainly will work for for quite a lot of people. But as we've seen from you know we've from recovering from COVID, is um, once people have got the option to actually go and inspect a car before taking delivery of it online, people have rushed back to d They've rushed back to showrooms, haven't they? The people were, were, were happy transacting online, but once showrooms were open again, people wanted to have that experience. And yes, to, to us, yes, it might just be an 18,000 pound BMW. It's just a hunk of metal. But for somebody who has saved up a lot of their cash and they've they've always wanted to have a BMW 320d and they've finally been able to buy one, do want to be pampered don't they, they you know they, they perhaps want to have that whole experience where they feel special so for, for right. some so people it just simply yeah. won't work
3: no and it, and uh, you're right with what you've just said then because we forget it because we're doing it day in day out and i think that's one of the reminders that we all have to have actually in the industry you know I, I, i'm one of them i keep harping on a bite to our guys because they just talk about things at times like it's just normal day to day uh conversation and well hold on a minute the consumer's not like that if you want to go and spend 20 grand on having your garden landscaped you'd want more than that yeah you know this is a personalized experience just like you getting your garden done Mm -hmm. and spending all your hard-earned money so you can walk outside and entertain people or whatever it may be when you have people around your house it's the same it's the same experience but it's so easy to forget especially when you're doing it. Um, doesn't make it right but that's a that's a good point that I think mm. that you've just made
1: well I think the solution is to to uh, to write into ground force and get them to turn up to your garden and do it as a surprise for you really <laughs> that's the solution whatever happened to ground force I used to love that tv program <laughs> <I> No, <know.
2: laughs>
1: <laughs> marvellous theme tune it really was um but anyway um, moving on
2: <laughs> moving I on I'm going to
1: go down an entirely different uh, road from the road that you started down there John um great first story to kick things off though um I'd like to talk about electric cars <gasps> don't n- please nobody switch off at this point it is it is an interesting point I'm going to make well hopefully um it's Henrik Fisker um, now we, our, our lovely colleague Ted Welford, he he sat down and spoke to Mr. Fisker. It's quite difficult to say that actually, Mr. Fisker, um, at the Google Festival of Speed uh, last week. Um, and I, I don't know if anybody did go to the Google Festival Speed, but um,
2: I'm sure some <sighs> people went. Yes, I think, yes, you know, I'm sure. i four or five people I'm were
3: there. I didn't sure.
1: go. <laughs> so well, I did, unsurprisingly, because it's my kind of thing, Goodwood, and it's only just down the road from me. But there was a big, um, uh, it's called Electric Avenue, and uh, there were all the latest electric cars. And, of course, there were more electric cars in, the, in there than there were last year and the year before that, obviously. And um, the the Fisker's new car, the Ocean, which is a, their electric SUV, um, was in there. It was on a central plinth, and it lots of the crowds were gathered around it i think one of the reasons why the crowds were gathered around it was because the ocean was parked next to the Renault 5 concept which as we all know is the most amazing looking car um full stop um but anyway um so so ted uh, sat down and spoke to um fisker and he told us their plans to launch in the uk next year um there won't be any dealers it'll be a fully online service We've been here before, haven't we, with all of this, but they'd be fully online with a large centre outside of London where customers can collect their cars, hopefully not home base or a car park <laughs> like that, but somewhere to pick their
2: cars up. Focus do or, it all.
1: Yes, or pay a little bit extra to have their car delivered at home. Um, now, this is, if you're thinking, well, we've, this sounds very familiar. Well, Fisker have been around for a while, but they, 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 they went, well, they disappeared for quite a long period of time they they launched about 10 years ago with something called the fisca karma which was a fabulous looking sort of plug-in hybrid saloon they're back now um, with this uh, electric suv and um i think the point i'm trying to make here is i think i think electric cars are a big reset in terms of brands um now it's going to be interesting to see where people will whether people will continue to go for startup brands like tesla and neo and rivian and fisker in the future or whether the legacy brands which are you know falling over themselves to launch electric cars at the moment and these are legacy brands of course they've got decades of experience whether these brands are going to have ultimately are going to have the upper hand
3: or whether it's funny you In the said, future. said that batch, because that that's that's a conversation I had a couple of weeks ago. I think consumers are not going to be as brand conscious when it comes down to electric vehicles because of the look. And, and let's be honest, there's not that much to distinguish one from another without, you know, being harsh about it. There is certain vehicles, that, like electric vehicles, that look really really nice for instance. I really like the EV6. Yeah. So I've just ordered one. Um and I I'm not an electric. I'm I'm, I'm I'd rather drive a V8 petrol all day long, but I've got it for, I've got it for the missus. <laughs> of course you have Steve. Of course you have. Um, yes. But um I don't think people are going to be as brand conscious because actually when you sit in these cars you've got everything that you need. They drive so well because they've come out having to be so competitive i think they've all the benchmarks already been set over the past few years about how well cars are built anyway i don't think there's particularly a poorly built car within reason that comes out these days the main difference being is um your own personal choice in terms of the look and the brand that you want to be seen or uh, seen in yeah, that's the, what it comes down to but i think we've got a different type of Customer looking at electric vehicles, not as brand conscious, not as um, worried about keeping up with the Joneses. Um, it does the job. It's comfortable. It's got all the tech you want. That's what I personally think is happening in the EV world. Would you, I mean, if you had a, a Land Rover electric car, for instance, that's going to be 170,000 quid. Or you're going to buy a, a kia ev6 at early 40s yeah
1: exactly and you make you makes a really good point and it's it's one that i find absolutely fascinating because you know we are so used to knowing that a bmw drives differently from a dacia and that's one of the reasons along with a whole other host of reasons that's why people tend to buy a bmw over a dacia because they might prefer the way the bmw drives for instance but Especially in the short term, not the long term, but in the short term, we are facing a period where many electric cars are going to drive very similarly because they're going to be sharing platforms, they're going to be sharing motors. The points of difference between each car is going to be very, very slim. I'm not saying the days of cars feeling different are over but I think in the short term we are facing a period where cars are are all going to drive very very similarly so it's going to come down to the car's interior the car's technology and of course the range of that car so yeah I think this is a major question mark whether why why would you buy a Jaguar or a Peugeot over a Fisker or a Tesla. And that's something which I know the the legacy car brands, they're all hoping and praying that people are are going to be brand loyal and they're going to carry on buying Peugeots because they've always bought Peugeots. But I, 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 I'm, I'm inclined to agree with you there, Steve, where I think um, (laughs) it's a reset button and people are are going to be less brand
3: loyal. Yeah. Uh,
2: I think, I think you're both right on that. And I think, as you say, we've already Seen a move towards, you know, I'm, I sort of almost take Kia out of it because Kia was sort of interesting ten years ago. You know, the Sportage, the last, well, second, third generation Sportage when that came out, that was a I bit did. of a wow. Yeah. This looks amazing. Um, Change of designer
3: did the job there. Yes. Yeah.
2: Yeah. It's exactly.
3: Huge. Like when you looked at the prices of what they were demanding anyway, and then when they came out with the new look they could mm. get them prices and i think they've done a really good job with holding that value mm. with the brand
2: so we i haven't... mean for, for me like here is almost an in-between in, i don't want to call it a legacy brand because when was it launched in this country 1991 or something yeah. that make me a legacy human which is slightly worrying um <laughs> but yeah i sort of think they're they're one of the kind of in-betweeny ones they've changed but quite quickly and have got ahead of all the technology um, the one for me that's kind of a, a marker of it is MG because you know apart from you batch, I mean, I don't think anyone particularly has. I think the MG brand of yesteryear that you know, there's a few people kind of hang on to it and think, oh yeah, MG. Blah, 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 but I think fundamentally, people accept it as a new brand now. I don't think it's trading on its old um, on its old badge effectively. Um, but you know, the things like the ZS. EV and the uh, MG5 and all these things have done tremendously well. And they're not doing tremendously well because of the the brand. They are doing really well because they are well-priced and have a great range and they're just the right car at the right time, aren't they? Um, Would, you know, would something like 10 years ago, that MG5, had that come up with a petrol engine? Nobody would have bought it like a sort of weird high riding-ish, small estate for like 25 grand I think you'd have gone uh I'm all right thanks I'll have a focus but now it's a bit like I kind of think of it almost like um the same as all these Chinese car brands I think of it a bit like people buying things on Wish like 20 years ago I think that would have been deeply unfashionable to have this kind of plasticky uh you know well even you know phones are the same Huawei or something like that can you imagine having a Huawei phone 20 years ago it just would have been like why have you got that? Why have you not got a Nokia or a Sony Ericsson or whatever? You know, I think people are a bit more brand agnostic now if the technology is there and it it works.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah well, it's, we're all in agreement on something. That's mm. boding well, this podcast. Perhaps it should is. Come more often.
2: The final um, thing I will say on the Fisker, uh, which is I had it in my list as well, oh, is okay. <laughs> they're looking to provide that car with a fixed price of thirty-five thousand pounds with a range of 390 miles and i looked at that and thought there is no way that is going to appear next year at 35 grand it is i'm sure it's going to be more than that because it's made in the magna factory in austria which of course i assume i could be wrong but i don't think austria has a particularly cheap labor rate um you know it's susceptible to the, the same battery pricing problems as every other electric car I just can't see that costing less than about 42 grand somehow. With I, I,
1: I, with. I, thought, I thought exactly the same there because um, and you know, we, we, we're used to, you know, Tesla coming out and saying something outrageous, but that's because they've got the infrastructure behind them to be able to um, to do this kind of thing. And when you realise that Fisker is relying upon the same infrastructure and manufacturing um, and the same tools that, Brands like Jaguar are using, then it does, it does, you do start to wonder whether they can actually put it off. So, yeah, it's one to watch, isn't it? But, um, yeah, if they can do it, then fantastic. But, um, yeah, it's going to be an interesting one to to watch, really. So, mm-hmm.
2: John, what's your next story? Well, speaking of Tesla, I'm going to go with the slightly, well, I mean, it would be extraordinary if it was any other car company, but I'm going with a story that, uh, Elon Musk has described his Tesla factories as gigantic money furnaces. Is the uh, that is the quote? Sorry,
1: can, but can I just interrupt? Did you say do you say Elon or Ellen then? I said, said
2: Elon. 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 I said you know I Elon. Oh wow! What did you say?
1: Elon. I mean I think that's Elon. the way most people say. I say Elon.
2: Elon. 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 Elon writing. Yeah, I- we
1: all, mean, we all
2: know what you mean, We all know what right, you mean. Write in, call in, yes, yes. <laughs> anyway, sorry, carry on. Uh, I've completely on. lost my train of thought now. Elon Musk. Yes, yeah, so anyway, Elon, Ellen, whatever he's called. Um, he's described his, you know, his... I don't know how many factories they've got now, five, ten, something like that. His gigafactories as becoming gigantic money furnaces. I, I mean, the reason that he's described them as this, presumably, is because they're not producing enough cars, because they're not getting... Um, the batteries. So there's two different types of batteries that are affected, which is very dull. Uh, but basically, neither type of battery that he's producing is getting into the factories quick enough. Um it's just a fantastic quote that I've uh, that's in this story. Um, both Berlin and Austin factories, Austin being Texas, are gigantic money furnaces right now. Okay. It's like a giant roaring sound, which is the sound of money on fire.
1: <laughs> I mean, get, it, get him a job on Car Dealer Magazine if you can write things like that. That's fantastic. Absolutely,
2: absolutely. And then he's kind of also saying it. It will. It will soon see a rapid recovery, but it's gonna. It's not going to be an easy fix. And I quote: "It will take a lot more effort, or take more effort, to get this factory into high line production than it took to build it in the first place." So effectively, wow. that that says to me that Tesla is struggling with their production yet again which they were many months ago well
3: i heard something about their production them having production issues a few weeks ago i can't remember where it was um he's saying that it could be up to two years Mm. which they've been pretty good up to the point of a few months ago so what does that say though for the rest of the ev market
2: yes because if Tesla can't do it, then yeah. Ford probably won't be able to do it, yeah.
3: Yeah. I, I do think
1: that, I mean, I mean, Tesla pricing over the last sort of, you know, three ever since the Model 3 came out about three years ago, it's been all over the place. I mean, you know, they, they just announced, well, they didn't even announce price increases. They, they, they're they configurated, just the price jumps up by 500 quid or something. Mm. Um, but, of course, they're having to put prices up because of the, they can't escape from the industry pressures. You know, You know, Elon Musk is, is, is a uh, very talented guy, but he can't escape something that's happening to everybody. Um, but I, I do think that people probably, people still carry on buying Teslas. And even though the, the, the prices are going up of them, um, and there are some very viable alternatives, such as the EV6, Steve, which I'm, I'm a big fan of. But people still go and buy Tesla because it, it, it's still, it still seen as the default choice, isn't it? And... Um,
3: it's a cemented brand in the market. It, it is, it, it like, is. You know, when we talk about legacy black brands, well, is it, should Tesla be in that now? Well, there's
1: an argument to be said that they, they, that they very much are. I mean, you know, they, when did they launch the Model S? 10 years ago or so, didn't they? So um yeah so um yeah it's it, it, honestly I, we can you know whenever we talk about tesla it gets me excited because it's just it's just it's just an incredible story full stop isn't it really and it's a story it just keeps on giving every single week we tend to write a story about elon musk because he's either said something outrageous or he's done something or he's going to buy this and not buy that or he's had a row with somebody else it's amazing just a,
3: he's just a fun guy. I think that's part of the Tesla brand. I think that gets forgotten. You know, we've got yeah. that's Tesla, but...
2: Although I don't think I'd like to work for him. Um, no, and I don't think I'd want to be a shareholder either with the kind of, you know, can you imagine having shares in Tesla and then being described, you know, the factory's being described as a money furnace? <laughs> you <sort of laughs> just think, could you just be quiet now, Musk? Like, just let my money earn some value. Yeah. It doesn't, you know... Can you imagine like Jim Farley or Ford coming out and saying, oh, yeah, yeah, it's just, we're just burning money in the factories at the minute. So, yeah, I'm sure it'll improve, but it'll take a lot of work. Like, <laughs> uh, get, oh, God, the PR does not affect this man.
1: Well, I, no, but again, we, we do, we are living in an age at the moment where it doesn't matter if you're Elon Musk or a politician, you can say anything really, can't you? And just get away with it. But uh, that's, that's a topic for another day. Mm. I think. Um,
0: we'll be right back. You want the best return from your advertising budget, and CarGurus piston Heads are focused on the same goal. With them, you have access to millions of monthly shoppers across both sites. Connect with in-market, high-quality buyers today and turbocharge your digital forecourt. For more information, visit dealerpackages.cargurus.co.uk and schedule a demo with their team. That's dealerpackages.cargurus.co.uk and tell them we sent you. Now, let's get back to the quiz.
1: I'm going to move things on to my next story, um, which is the complete other end of the spectrum from uh, Tesla, and that's Caterham. Um, you couldn't get more of a sidetrack than that, could you? But um, their, their, um, uh, their, their, their boss, um, Gray McDonald, we've had him on Cardio Live in the past, lovely guy, very talented. Pleasure to chat to. He's stepping down. He's being replaced by uh, Bob Lashley, who's currently the firm's chief strategy officer. Now, I think Graham is leaving at a really good time for Caterham because you know he's been through a lot with the brand. I mean, he's been through the whole time where there was that whole fallout between Caterham. Well, originally this this promised partnership between Caterham and, and Renault with, mm. uh, with with Alpine, and of course that all fell apart. You know, Caterham, amazingly, it's amazing to think now, isn't it, but Caterham were once in Formula One um, and that's that's gone. So, so Graham's seen all of that. And he's lived through all of that. Um, and he's leaving the brand um, in good stead as well, because they've got a 12-month order bank, which, um, I mean, Caterham, have, have, you know, they've long had strong order banks. Um, Japan is one of their strongest markets. They absolutely love Caterham's out in Japan, but um, he's, he's leaving the brand at a good time. The thing that I'm I'm quite interested about is is I'm sure Graham's got his own reasons for leaving, and it would be lovely to talk to him about it. But uh, the cynic in me is thinking: is is he leaving because Caterham is 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 going to have to address this problem sooner or later? Of they're going to have to build electric cars at some point, aren't they? And and as we all know, the Caterham Seven, we all love Caterham Sevens because they are made from tin you know and they weigh absolutely nothing and they've got a lovely little engine under the bonnet um it is going to be a huge um it's going to be a huge process for Catherine to actually announce plans to build an electric car and to win over people um that they can actually build electric cars is graham leaving before he has to has to do that but um but as we've seen with Lotus, you, you, can, you, you, you can change your brand values. It does help when you've got a Chinese conglomerate like Geely behind you. Um, <laughs> but you can turn around the brand and you can uh, convince people that building sporty electric cars, um, is it, it can be done. So very interesting times for Caterham. And I think we're as we're all petrolheads, we're definitely all going to be, Looking at Caterham and, and wondering what the what the future
2: lies for them. I think. I... Go on, Sorry, you go.
3: Sorry, John. I think just take like you know when you were saying that, I was sort of getting a twinge <laughs> because I know it sounds sad, because it, it's sad. Yeah. It, like it, they shouldn't they shouldn't have to go through that process because they are the pure they they're like a purist. Yes, they are. Like, and and where do where does that go? I mean, that's like starting again.
2: Mm. Yes, and, and yes. Um, um,
1: yeah, and one thing, one thing which I'm, of course, we're all on board with electric cars. We have to be. That's you know, that's the future, and we've got to get behind it. But one thing that does rather frustrate me about everything is that it's a complete and utter. Bring the shutters down on petrol and diesel cars. That's it. And we've all got to go electric. And I do think that with for brands such as Caterham, they don't, in the grand scheme of things, they are a minnow. They are tiny. Mm. And why can't there be some kind of, not loophole, because that means it's it's sort of illegal, but <laughs> why can't there be some kind of uh, allowance for
2: as there has companies been to carry though. on
1: building tiny little cars with petrol engines, because in the grand scheme of things, they're not going to be emitting a huge carbon dioxide footprint because these cars tend to be driven, you know, only of, you know, a thousand miles a year, for example. So- the only
2: thing I would say on that is, you know, Caterham being the minnow that it is relies heavily on bits and pieces from other people. So, you know, presumably at some stage, even if they had an exemption in the same way that, you know, the smaller companies have exemptions for emissions and, uh, you know, not fitting ABS and all this, that, and the other, don't they? There's kind of it small isn't. exemptions for low volume um, producers of cars. Presumably, those Ford Sigma engines will stop being produced at some point. Um, you know, I assume the little Suzuki one that's in there will carry on for a while longer, but they will eventually, that seven is going to have to die, isn't it? Because there's just no where, you know, I've, as someone who's sat in a seven as you have as well um where do you put things you know there's not room for me let alone a battery i just don't understand how you would you can't adapt that it's going to be a whole new model it would have to be and do they have the budget to do a ground up model no i don't think they do i mean they have i've always i've always thought catering seem to have a much longer runway than I expect them to. You always sort of think, oh, look, you know, how much more can they possibly get out of this old 60s Lotus body? And it just seems to keep coming and coming and coming, and they keep managing to do things that people want to buy, which is brilliant. But the, the end of the road will have to happen at some point, unfortunately, won't it?
3: For me, that pure, that pure going back to that purification and exactly what you've just described, John, is exactly what attracts me. Mm. And I, I think that's where actually they, they could continue to win Because there's not that it's not existing anymore.
2: Mm.
3: You know what? When we talk about should there be allowances, well, you know what? A buyer of that type of vehicle will probably pay a small premium in some way, shape, or form, whether that's towards carbon offset charge per vehicle or whatever it may be, to own it. Mm. I actually think it could actually create more demand for that type of product people will pay that premium because they get an absolute beautiful, beautiful, unique type of vehicle from, from doing so. <clears throat> so I, I think, you know, pay a premium for it. You know, if I was going, if I was going to go and buy one for, for them exact reasons for me, I pay, I would pray, I pay a levy. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And I think, you know,
1: we've, for for decades, haven't we? You know, well, ever since the the motor car came out, but there's been a variety. You can choose a different type of car, um and if you did want a a purist, back to basics kind of sports car, le- uh, Lotus or Caterham can sell you one. And and I just hope in the future we can still have a bit of variety. Everything's not going to be the same because it's gonna it's gonna be it's gonna be very sad, really, if 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 we can't get our get get our thrills from from something that um and and why and why petrol heads should be um sort of s- sidelined and marginalized for for liking something that goes a little bit against the grain mm. Mm. um so yeah very interesting and i wish graham the best he's he's been a great guy and i and i and i uh, and i wish bob um the best of luck as well so yeah that's one sort that really caught my eye this week um how about you john anything else
2: Well, I'm going to go to your favorite brand, which is MG. Ah, well, I've got MG written down, so we've probably got the same story, but yes, go. Uh, Then you just write MG on everything, so I assume (laughs) I'm just doodling. (laughs) MG, Austin Riley. Uh, Right, (laughs) so the the MG4 has been announced, which unsurprisingly is uh, bigger than the MG3, probably smaller than the MG5. So effectively, it's a crossover type thing. I won't talk about how it looks. Luckily, we're on the radio. Um, I think it's sort of all right. Uh, but the the interesting thing about it, I mean, it's, it's just another electric car shaped like a crossover, really, with a range of 280 miles or something. So it's not especially interesting in and of itself.
3: This I'm going to have to look at it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's not, I mean, prepare yourself. It's not too bad, but it's got a... Mm, yeah, I'm not sure about it. Um, but the the interesting part for me is... That once again we're talking about MG are talking about um this battery, there's not so much battery swapping, but they're talking about possibly the option of changing your battery uh say five years down the line or a year down the line, if you if you decide you want a bigger battery or a bigger battery becomes more technologically feasible. So they're describing it as battery as a service, which I actually think is a bit of a mislabeled thing because they you actually have to buy your battery in the first place, whereas You know, battery as a service would be you pay £15 a month for your battery. Um, But my question is, is this actually where we're going to go? Because we had this sort of, um, we had this with Renault, didn't we? When they first brought out Zoe and the Fluence, if anyone remembers what a Fluence looked like. Um, You know, you you didn't own the battery. You had to lease it off Renault at what was not a particularly competitive price. And it really hammered the residuals because, you know, people like Cap HPI would look at it and go, well, how on earth do you value this car if the main bulk of its value, which is the battery, is not owned by the owner? Um, So that was a real problem. But maybe MG will be able to kind of get around that some way. And also, you know, it could be a case of you, as they say, you actually, you buy your car, it's 35 grand, it comes with a range of 200 miles, and then in three years' time, you can go, do you know what? I'm going to have a bigger battery. How much that battery costs in three years' time, I think, is the crucial thing. Because if you, you, know, if you bought the car for 30 grand um, and then in five years' time you discover that a new battery is 15 grand, which is probably what it would be, you're not going to do that, are you? You're just going to get rid of the car. Um, no, no.
3: And then also, how much can they start to demand for a battery? MM. You know, if you if you were an owner and you bought it, then you're being fairly speculative about updating your battery or upgrading your battery in five years' time in terms of actually how much is it going to cost me? Mm. Because, you know, how much are materials now? I mean, Jesus, look at what everything's costing. Where is it in five years? So for me, I think that just is uncertain in mm. terms of for the consumer in terms of what they're getting themselves into. But Yes, When we look at that as a model around the battery, are we just going to see more of that in terms of the whole car?
2: Well, I think, yeah, quite quite possibly. (laughs) I mean the car. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that there's so many subscription um offerings, aren't there, that have tried to take off. I mean, car manufacturers have tried to do it. I think people have their own opinions about it. My own opinion is that they're just they're too expensive um for the sake of you know unless you really really need the flexibility of i might leave the country in a month and i don't want this car anymore you know you will pay a lot more uh for a subscription than you would for a, a decent lease deal um i don't know batch any thoughts
1: well I, I i had this story written down and i went down a slightly different track um from the one you went down but the the, the thing i got from this story is um that you know i'm an mg fan as i as we keep going on about but yeah, i'm i'm very on board with with the brand's reinvigoration under chinese ownership the thing i'm fascinated about is how successful the brand is going to be over the next few years because you know they've made huge success here in the uk over the past few years with their you know their value for money driven cars you know there there seems like every single week there's a new dealer that's been appointed and they really seem to be The volumes must be at an all-time high, surely. They are, they are, and it seems to be a brand that's working very well here in the UK, but can they, it goes back to what we were saying earlier on in terms of, of legacy brands and new brands, can they carry on, can they carry on in the future still being successful? Because... I mean, what's going to be their USP in the future? I mean, you know, they're not going to carry on building value for money cars. I mean, we, we mm-hmm. know they're going to be building a sports car that's going to be coming. that's going to finally be coming to the UK and what have you. You know, they've, they've had many advantages so far. What, what, what are the advantages going to be in the future when when there's so much more parity in terms of battery technology? Prices you would think will come down. What's going to be what's going to be the reason for somebody choosing an MG at the moment? It's because an MG5 costs 10 grand less than a ID 3 That's why at the moment.
3: And if they're carrying on down that route and we're talking about subscription for batteries and how much they're going to potentially cost moving forward, then is the MG actually a cheap option? Exactly.
2: Yeah. I think the thing is they will they will get lost in a sea of other, you know, Chinese imports, effectively. Because we we forget here on this tiny island we've got mg uh we've you know geely you could sort of say i mean some volvos are made in china there's not a huge number of uh chinese brands here in china there are so many that it's yeah. beyond the point of ridiculousness really and they are kind of thinning out a little bit but there's so many you know like neo and all these other ones who will probably start to make an appearance here and unless mg has got this kind of like um, what's the word a kind of a loyalty from their current customers you're right how are they going to compete with those I mean the other thing I will say is although MG have been constantly expanding the dealer network and as you say every week we have an MG you know a new dealership in da, 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 da. the dealers are not particularly happy with them judging by our car dealer power no. service for the last two years Good you point. know I mean lo- this last year uh, they came second to last just above Citroen sorry Citroen um, and the year before that wasn't much better. They just don't seem to, they're very good at expanding, but I don't think they are particularly good at, well, judging by the dealer scores, they're not very good at used car supply or forward planning particularly bad. Um, I just wonder if they're kind of, they throw a lot of, you know, they're expanding quickly, but not really putting in the effort, if that makes sense.
3: Care hmm. and attention that's needed to keep dealers... Happy, um, especially in challenging times that we've been through or were potentially in again. I think got to strengthen that big time. You got to keep mm. them outside, keep them wanting to push the brand. That will help the brand grow. Um, and listen to their feedback. I think that's the other thing. I think they could, you know, it gets so it's so easy for them to dismiss the feedback and just carry on and go. It's almost like they're just going like all out, poof, let's expand, pop up everywhere. And then they start forgetting about why they're there.
1: Yeah, um, it, yeah, it, it is like making hay while the sun shines, isn't it? Um, um, but um, I mean, if, if one of the reasons why people are buying MGs is because they all love the MG brand, then they've got nothing to worry about. But as I do agree with you, John, um, I don't think the main reason why people go and buy an MG ZS is that, um, you know, it's there's a hundred year old badge on the nose. And ZS was also a, a model of MG that was quite popular 20 years ago. Um, so I don't think that's a reason why people buy them. So I th- it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see MG's um, the celebration celebrating their centenary next year. 1924 is when they um uh, were established and and how big they go on that are they is the mg of today really going to try and you know with with a with a serious with a serious look on its face say hey we really do date back to 1924 um and um because as we all know it's a very different company
2: these days i, I suspect in their actual home market of china because we're not, we're not really the home market are we i suspect that is where the brand really is quite useful to them i mean i don't know much about British things in China. I know British things in Japan is a big thing. Hence, Caterham have done very well, and they're owned by a Japanese company now, aren't they? So, I wonder if MG kind of is a bigger thing in China than it is here.
1: You know, they they Chinese absolutely love British brands. Hence, why S A I C bought MG because I mean they 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 went through a period of using British celebrities for their adverts purely in China. I think they used David Beckham and Benedict Cumberbatch and all these (laughs) British icons. (laughs)
3: <laughs> endorsement money flying around there for them. I know, there a,
1: there <laughs> is a yes. I mean, haven't you got enough money? Yeah, surely. But there we are. Anyway, right. Um, right I'm going to move on to my last story because I had the MG story as well. Um, just very quickly, um, Honda. We had a we had a chat with the Honda MD this week, and uh, she she came out and said that Honda have got no no aspirations to bump themselves up um, and become more premium, which seems to be like every single car maker these days are always trying to move themselves up the corporate ladder and become more premium by the day. But Honda say, oh no, 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 no. We're absolutely happy being where we are. Thank you very much. My concern is that I don't really know where Honda sits in the market anymore. Um, And uh, I think there was a time where you, you, you knew exactly where Honda sat. But nowadays, I mean, I don't mean this rudely, but at no point would I recommend a Honda to anybody, not because they're bad cars, but I just don't remember. I don't remember that Honda build a CRV or a Civic. I mean, a new Civic was revealed this week. It's like, my word, I would totally forgotten about that car. Um, so uh very, it's very lovely that uh, she's come out and said this, but I do wonder uh, where Honda sits in the marketplace and whether whether where the customers actually are aware of of honda as we know uh, there is uh hondas are very popular with more, more mature buyers as we all know but what about the younger generation are they going to be interested in buying hondas in the future i, I know had this know.
2: on um, i had this on my list with exactly the same comment which was oh, right <laughs> yeah exactly this it's this phrase of we know where we are I was thinking, well i don't know where you are you no. know like it's it's i think it's the move to um electrification as i will call it is going to be a big problem for them as well because you know the last the last civic okay um i really like the last generation civic i thought it drove really well i thought it was really well built i thought it was quite well priced um good range of engines etc etc it was never going to make a massive impact because it was a honda civic in a sea of how many varieties of car are there of that size? Focus kind of sized car when that came out in 2014 or something. Um, you know, it was one of about nine different cars could choose from, so it was a bit lost then. But I thought that was a that was a really decent car. I thought the HRV was a really decent car to drive. Um, okay, not again, a bit lost in its against its rivals. But now everything is going to be hybrid only, which okay, was probably okay but it's not the Honda that we're used to of, you know, you could say Honda's selling points a few years ago, were either reliability or kind of um, the free, free revving VTEC engines and all this, that, and the other. And I think the VTEC bit has pretty much gone, hasn't it? You're not going to buy a, a nice racy Honda now. It's- that,
3: that, that for me was the main bit. It's mm. the excitement. There's no mm. excitement with Honda anymore. So the VTEC, you're exactly right. That, that's all I really remember. Mm like when Batch was saying, what do I remember? It's like, it's, for me, it's VTEC.
2: And I think, you know, we were talking about legacy brands. I think Honda is a classic example of a legacy brand that just is sort of floating around going, "Uh, what do we do now? We're not ready with electric cars. You know, we've got one and it goes 100 miles and it's incredibly expensive, the Honda e, It's beyond, you know, they've, when that arrived, it was about 28 grand, I think, initially. And gradually, the price has gone up and up and up and up, and it's now about thirty-seven grand for a Honduri. Yeah. But the range does. hasn't gone up, though. has No, it? the range and hasn't not gone up.
1: I've heard some people in the winter they were getting eighty miles from from a Honduri. Oh, I can imagine. It's a hell of a lot of money for a car that costs, you know, the thick end of forty grand.
2: Mm. Mm. Absolutely. Um, that- so they're just they're just not ready for that bit of the market. They're kind of in the sort of weird in between zone where they can't make. Um, you know, conventionally petrol, you know, nice petrol with a manual. They can't do that anymore. They've got to go to hybrid. So it's just, they're sort of floating in this in-between world where nothing is particularly wonderful. They've got no plug-in hybrids either, so they can't even kind of offset the CO2 with those. And of course uh, they
1: abandoned, they pretty much abandoned hybrid about 10 years ago. I mean, there was that big race to dominate hybrids and it was between Toyota and, and Honda and,
3: and mm-hmm. Toyota won. And, um, uh, so Toyota mastered it. Yeah, I do think that yeah, I, I actually love the Toyota. I've got um, I've got a CHR over mm. in, in uh, our house in Spain. I love that car. I absolutely love it. It's hybrid. It's so fuel efficient, self-charging. Mm. You know, I think like 40 euros. <laughs> when I put 40 euros in, it gets like 600, uh, 600 kilometers. Mm. Like, yeah. It's got everything you need in it. It's perfect size. It's compact. It's big enough. It's like they did it right. did it Mm. right and um that's uh, like said, honda just didn't get in the ballpark
2: yeah i think honda for me is endemic of um that's pretty not the right word it's it's a great example of i have this theory that a lot of japanese manufacturers do not think about europe enough um you know and it's, it's weird the way the world kind of separates itself out into different car markets you know america is a very very different place to europe japan is a very different place to europe in terms of what they want and it's almost a bit like um subaru for example are the same um i'm trying to think of another example but there's a there's a few brands that just kind of they concentrate on a couple of key markets and then they forget about the rest i think honda concentrate quite a lot on america as you would, because it's a, a big money market. I think they concentrate on Japan, and I think Europe is a bit sort of, oh yeah, what should we do for them? Uh, well, the civic's fine, they're just put a hybrid in it, that'll do. Um, and I think if they don't really put some investment into it, they're just going to fade away into nothing, which is very sad. Mm. But perhaps that's just how it goes.
3: Yeah.
1: Um... Right, let's move on. I actually lied earlier on. I have got one more story, which means you've probably got one more story, John. Have you?
2: Um, I do. I'm going to go with a another depressing story about the semiconductor crisis. Just to Oh God, this in. really? <laughs> <laughs> which is, I'll keep it short and sweet. Mercedes boss sees no end in sight for semiconductor shortage, with prices set to stretch into next year. So it's not over yet. Basically, um, um, there are still struggles getting cars out of the factories. I mean, basically, we're not, we're not, this isn't going to go away for a while. And I think as a result, the boom in used cars is not going to go away for a while, is my verdict on this. But then that's, it's not a very original take, I suspect. No.
3: Well, as um, a take you can t- on it, I can't see any other way around. Like, I can't see used cars going anywhere in terms of, all right, there's all right, softening in the market, demand, consumer behavior. It's changed, has changed, I think, especially in the last two or three months, but how can it affect the values as much as, you know, the boom that we've seen, it can't crash out. You know, people are asking me, it's going to crash, it just can't.
1: No. Mm-hmm.
3: And we've also got to remember
1: that, yes, this will stretch well into 2023, but for, for car manufacturers, it's actually quite a good position to be in. I mean, you know- yeah, For the-
2: mask, apparently, or Elon. <laughs>
1: But I was with Peugeot this week and, and I was talking to Mazda as well. And they know that every single well, virtually every single car that comes into the country has got a customer attached to it. Mm. Um, and they are effectively building to order at the moment. So they're not building vast number of cars and having to leave them in an airfield um, and then sell them off at a reduced price in 18 months time. Their margins good. are high. You know, they're, they're very
3: happy, actually. For the brand batch with what you were saying that do you think they are going to be really happy with because they're going to be able to retain brand values so much better than they've had to in the past where it's like get a load of them cars pre-registered you get x amount of kickback get them out there now they're sort of in control is this a problem for franchises because where they've been at, able in the past to let's use Vauxhall for argument's sake. say that was my background <laughs> we determined the price yeah you know we we're buying that many and pre-registering them yeah. now it's sort of like well hold on a minute you can have that that's coming off the and that's the price mm. well worry. i
1: think i think the big problem is it's for fleets and um rental companies you know in rental companies in the past they could go to renault or Vauxhall and say look how, how, how much are you going to sell twelve thousand courses to us um, and they'd battle the price down. Whereas at the moment, rental companies are going to have are having to go to manufacturing and say, hey, can we have 12,000 courses? And and the manufacturers turn around and laughing and saying, yeah, good luck. And if you do yeah. want 12,000 courses, you're going to have to pay the price, not a not a discount. So for, so for fleets and, and, and companies, that's where the problem lies. Um, Peugeot this year, they think they're going to be selling more private more cars to private buyers than to fleets which is the first time for a very long time I think mm. um, so manufacturers love it they're, they're selling cars at a high margin to private buyers and they know that virtually every car they bring into the country is already sold so to, to a certain extent manufacturers might want the semiconductor crisis to carry on for a little bit longer because it, it, it balances their books out very nicely. So um, interesting, amazing times, really. Um, my last story is about used cars, so that's quite good. And I really want to hear Steve's view on this. Um, we had June's best-selling used cars uh, this week. Data came in from Autotrader and seven of the top 10 best-selling used car, well, not best-selling, sorry, the fastest-selling used cars in June were all electrics, um, which is the first time that has ever happened. Um, it's normally some kind of miserable diesel mpV but it's not um, it's uh, some really desirable electric cars actually um so th- is this is this the start of something new now are we going to be seeing electric cars being the fastest selling used cars every single month from here on in who knows still a very interesting set of data I mean, Steve, are you are you seeing a bit of an uplift in, in uh, electrics at all
3: uh I mean I think there's two ways to look at this scenario. They are naturally going to have increased because of what's happening in terms of cost, you know, inflation costs. You know, people are going to look at it as a more viable option. However, my take on this when I read this was, it's great that um, they're the fastest selling vehicles, but what I would really want to know is the volume. Like, how much volume has been sold, in electric in comparison to the, the rest of the market, because I actually don't think that is making up a large percentage. It'll be an increased percentage. We know that, but it's not like if, if, if all car dealers went into, we're just supplying EV tomorrow, I think we'd be knackered in the used yeah. markets, but we wouldn't, we wouldn't be able to exist. So what I'm interested at this moment in time to understand is, what are the volumes in electric vehicle sales in the used arena as opposed to the rest of the arena? Because, you know, we're, we're having to think about this and think about where it's coming. What, you know, for us, we it's not that massively. We'll do some stuff. We'll do Tesla and, and a bit here and there. We haven't got anything electric at the minute. Um, But my question would be, what's the volume in that, you know?
1: Yeah, you do make an interesting point because, you know, if if there if there isn't, um a very healthy supply of mini electrics for example there's going to be a run on those and they're going to they're going to disappear off dealer forecourts very quickly whereas you know there is a, a, a probably an excess of diesel Vauxhall astras and that's the reason why uh, they're not very fast or very you know, very sort of quick to to disappear off dealer forecourts because there's too many of them um so yeah numbers do come into it you're absolutely right i, I just think it's interesting that it wasn't that long ago when We'd be saying the, the the fastest selling used car was a Seat Alhambra diesel, or or or, yeah. or, or
3: you know another miserable car, a Toyota Corolla hybrid. You know, it's, but, an, it's um, definitely an indication of what's happening and where it's going. And people, yes. for me, that that is an indication of consumer behaviour,
0: mm-hmm. and
3: and you know, it's showing their thought process um, along the way. I think you know. It's the, the the marketing that's going behind EV and the promotion that's going behind it is now really starting to gather a bit more momentum and I think them figures are showing that that's that's yeah. where I look at it. It's just a case of from a used car dealer point of view, how how and when do we go into that kind of market? Because is there actually enough volume for us at the moment for everyone to sort of dip dip the toe in and start? playing around with EV. Mm. I'm not convinced at this moment in time that there is for us as a business to start really taking it very serious in terms of, from a business point of view, from a used car supply point of view. Very interesting.
1: I
2: knew you'd have something interesting to say about it.
1: Um, John, anything else to add on that? I mean, the only
2: thing I would say about the, I always find these stats quite, as you say, they're always quite peculiar, aren't they? Um, And it tends to, when I look at it, I always think it's, it, it is linked to volume in, in the opposite way. It tends to, I think it tends to be when there's a slow, a small supply of something. Um, that's when it goes really quickly. That's why you see these kind of strange um, an, anomaly kind of cars ending up in there half the time. Like I always, I always look at them and there's things like a Jeep Patriot has suddenly appeared in and everything, mm-hmm. it's fine. It's fine cheap Patriots, but there's about three of them. Right. So somebody has suddenly decided they want a you know, a gas guzzling SUV and there's only four in the country. Yeah. Um, so there's, there's one or two, uh, well, I mean, do you know what? A lot of these EVs are kind of um, along the same lines as that. I mean, admittedly, there's a lot more mini electrics and Hyundai Ionic 5s going around. But generally speaking, like the Ionic 5, for example, I can imagine that selling really quickly because it's a very popular car. People are really interested in it. Um, I would imagine people do not want to get rid of them, particularly in terms of if I had just bought one a year ago, I wouldn't want to. Sell my Ionic 5, I'd be quite happy with it. So there's not yeah. that many in stock. I was probably. just ribbing
3: our enterprise rep, John. <laughs> <laughs> I was just ribbing him because he had an Ionic 5 and he turned up, I don't even know what he was in.
0: Mm. And
3: um, I said, What the hell is that? I mean, Jesus Christ, me, you know, my grandma wouldn't be in it. Um, it, it was just this, the look and the color and everything. And anyway, he, I said, Where's the Ionic? And he was like, I'm so gutted that I haven't got that car anymore. Really? Absolutely yeah I absolutely love the car
2: yeah well there you go case in point i mean there yeah. are some funny little ones in there like number six is the nissan note petrol automatic a yes. car that everyone had forgotten existed um i mean the, the interesting thing for me is probably the opposite end of the spectrum is the slowest selling used cars
1: well it, i was just going to say that because that's that's that sounds more accurate doesn't it yeah if you i'll let you that, go you go yeah, if I mean, if you look at that, there are things like the Subaru LeVorg, which God only knows why someone would buy a Subaru LeVorg. Um, but also there's things like the Audi A5, which there's obviously there's just there's, the market saturated with A5s for some mm-hmm. reason, that's why it's slow.
3: It's weird, isn't it? Well, like you look at that, like an Audi A5, like prehistorically, you'd always think, right, a good spec Audi A5 like, is it depends on spec as well i suppose like what's out there is it all se stuff
2: well it could i mean the a4 is also in there both diesel autos and you suspect yeah probably it was it's a a hangover from pre-pandemic fleet saturation with them i would imagine isn't it
3: yeah not very well specs type stuff and i mean i i like i I love looking at stats and like everything i do is based on data really and and stats but there's also some anomalies like, like we, we're pointing out in this situation now, like, you know, especially like auto trade is great for giving you stats, but you've really got to dissect what that stat actually means to the marketplace and what it's actually directed at because mm. it, it, it's sometimes not a true representation. It's like, you know, I had one of the guys yesterday, I'm not going off on one, of them, it might be a bet actually, but um, a course of 1.2 Sting, for instance. And he goes, he said to me, he said, Oh, this looks cheap. No, this can be coming into I said, but you're looking at auto trader portal mm. and it's showing you that you've got a 1900 pound margin across it. And there's one more sting. That's a 1.2, not the one liter three cylinder engine. Said, so it is not giving you the correct data in this instance. You need to look at a broader market mm. and you know, he looked at it, it was like oh you're right it's like grand less mm. and, and and that's I think just an example of what we need to sort of divulge in terms of the data, data that we're taking on board and sort of try and dissect because
2: yes it's a you market. can prove anything with statistics is the phrase Well,
3: yeah I mean we I think for, for, the, for the average car
1: dealer there are some amazing tools and some amazing services on offer and Yes, they can help you to sell more cars, but ultimately you still need to have a skill in dealing and knowing what stock to stock. Mm. And so it's you know tools and and software can't can't completely and utterly um, help you sell cars. You've still got you still got to use use the thing up top, haven't you? Really? So yeah, good way to end, I think. And um, Steve, is
3: there anything else that we've missed? Do you think? I think there's something that could do away with all of this EV. (laughs) (laughs) F1, synthetic fuel. Uh, Yes. I'm hoping (laughs) in the background that this could become a viable option because they're talking about, you know, by 2026 and by 2030 that uh, certainly that it's a hundred percent, is it biodegradable? I don't know what the correct terminology is behind it, but if we're looking at synthetic fuel, could that be the answer to Caterham to anyone that wants to produce? You know, I I I start get looking at these things, and I'm looking at like, I was looking at an older M3 Alpina yesterday. I'm thinking, yeah, I an mean, Alpina's and stuff like. I think these are awesome. These are like they don't they, they haven't got the character anymore. Mm. And would this synthetic fuel? Be the answer it's it's meant to be being able to be used in a normal combustion engine um it's meant to be environmentally good yeah well we know that Porsche are well into
1: developing it and if Porsche are doing it that's really good and of course Formula One are going to go down that line as well so that's that's good for petrol heads such as ourselves and also let's not forget but judging by the way things are currently in the uk we could have another two or three governments before 2030 um so the 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 the, the post could move here um ultimately i don't think it i don't think it will i think we're so far down this line of electric cars and everything's you know there's going to be this ban in 2030 that um uh the things aren't going to change but hey you know, we we We've don't we don't know, and the, and the worst the worst <laughs> thing too is to predict what's going to happen in the motor trade and in the car industry. If the last two years have taught us anything, it, you cannot predict what's going to happen, can you? So, no. I, I'm I'm hoping um, there's going to be a last hurrah for the internal combustion engine, but let's see what happens. Great. All right. So, Steve, who do you think has won? Then, do you think I won? Or do you think, Johnny Ray? Won today's
3: podcast. Sorry, John, I had the catering. <laughs> Oh, it's oh, yeah. got me, mate. It's got me. It's uh, it's one of them things. It's, it's sitting with me. This the, it sat with me the whole of our conversation from being. Suppose it's nostalgic if we're looking at what it could become in the future. Um, I think you know it's just it's sad if it has to go that way.
1: Yeah, and if it does go
3: that way, and they do have to build
1: electric cars, can you imagine the used prices of Caterham Seven Six Twenty Rs and whatnot? Maybe what we should
3: go and start filling the boots. With them. Yeah, start mm. filling
1: your forecourt out with Caterham, Steve. That's the that's the takeaway from this podcast. We'd be think.
3: making any money; we'd just be having fun.
1: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, it's been an absolute pleasure having on Steve. Thank you so much for joining us this week. No, thank you for having me. Uh, thank you, John. Um, sorry about uh, beating you there, mate. Sorry. Um, and uh, thank fast, you. <laughs> and thank you to listening uh, to you at home or at work or in the car, wherever you listen to this podcast. Thank you for joining us. Join us again next week.